kicking off episode 240 of Monster Kid Radio with the song Matador. It comes from the band the RPS Surfers. They're a cool surf band based in Israel. This song appears on the album Danger Beach. You can find them at rpssurfers.bandcamp.com or follow the link in the show notes over at monsterkidradio.net that's the website for the podcast devoted to the classic and sometimes not so classic genre cinema of yesteryear monster kid radio classic monsters modern talk and your host writer producer Derek M. Cook. Welcome to the show. I'm excited because I've got a new person on the show, somebody who's never been on the show before, but I did talk about one of his movies last year in the Holiday Gift Guide. We're going to talk about that with director Strephon Taylor. He is the man behind the website November Fire over at NovemberFire.com, which has got a ton of cool shirts, DVDs, music, all sorts of great stuff. I shop here. Well, you'll hear all about it here in a second. Strephon has a new documentary out there right now. Devoted to the man who is responsible, I think, the most for, well, what we love as monster kids. Without this man, we wouldn't have the Frankenstein's monster. We wouldn't have the Wolfman. We wouldn't have any of that without Jack Pierce. The documentary is Jack Pierce, the maker of monsters. It came out this month. We have Streffen on the show. We're going to talk a little bit about his background and a lot about his documentary. Along the way, we're also going to talk about some of our favorite Jack Pierce makeups. We're going to do a top three. Streffen's going to give me his top three favorite Jack Pierce makeups. I'm going to go over my top three. Is there some overlap? Well, we'll find out. And no, that's not a hint. Jack Pierce didn't do the makeup on 1940s. You'll find out. Not that this is a slight against that movie. I actually kind of dig it. But that's probably a topic for another show in the future. Our immediate future has our conversation with Streffen Taylor right after this. Four years into the terrifying future. A beautiful, horrible cave world you've never dreamed of. A beautiful girl and love. Mankind was made sterile in a great cosmic plague. A new Adam and Eve are the only male and female left to repopulate the world. I value my freedom more than this. So you will attempt this escape even though we try and stop you. Yes. The jealousy of a she-devil frees the bloodthirsty killer slaves. Follow me, soldiers of revenge. I'll lead you to the captain, to food, to freedom. <laughs> the last survivors of the human race are doomed to murder in a killer orgy by vicious subhuman mutants. Will you die 64 years from today? We challenge you to see the most terrifying picture ever made. The picture of your life or death. Hello, Christopher. What insanity are you up to today? Oh, hey, Lydia. I'm downloading some movies. What? People are always telling me that's illegal. Uh uh-uh, uh, not these. They're all public domain. Oh, look, Rescue from Gilligan's Island. Well, let me see what you're doing. Oh, you're at archive.org. Well, they have thousands of films, TV shows, commercials radio shows, and books available. Yeah, but 
There are so many. I wish there was a podcast or something that would discuss these things. You know, give us an idea of what's worth the time. Um, Christopher, there is. We do one. <laughs> oh, that's right. We host Orphan Entertainment. Once a month, we pick something from archive.org and review and discuss it. <laughs> that sure is nice of us. Sure. Why don't you click over to orphan-entertainment.jonja.net and remind yourself a little more about the show. Will do. So let's see. That's orphan-entertainment.jonja.net. Hey, can we review the Gilligan's Island movie sometime? Mm-hmm. We'll see, Christopher. We'll see. Happen. The whole town seems deserted. That monster's on the loose right here in town. Anybody catch sight of this thing? Well, a few kids playing in the street said he was 20 feet tall, covered with long hair, and had great big teeth. Behind these empty streets, these windows shut in fear, lies the strange story of a young girl who knows the secret of the teenage monster. Fascinated by an evil demon, unable to control her sinister desires, she leads the monster to his prey, sacrificing an entire town to his insatiable lust for human life. I don't like to be stolen from her. I don't like to be laughed at. Oh, but it's not going to happen anymore. Because Charles won't let it. He'll kill anybody who does. Even you, I think. <gasps> Joe Martindale came in this morning, while six of his blooded steers last night, and a rider. The steers had their throats torn out, and the rider, Bill Begley, was beat to death. It's that thing again. I'll meet you back at the office. I'm going to have to go, Ruth. You stay in town. That thing's loose on the range again, not 15 miles from your mind. What was it? It was that thing. Harry and horrible. And... Oh, it was awful. Yeah. I saw him, the monster. He ran away from this barn carrying the girl. A posse in panic, not knowing what they'll find. Man, beast, or demon from another world as they pursue the loathsome killing thing they call the teenage monster. Radio listeners, I'd like to welcome to the show a filmmaker, a man behind a documentary that I really liked last year, and it looks like he's going to be behind a documentary I'm going to really like this year as well. Welcome to the show, Strephon Taylor. Thanks for having me on, Derek. This is great. I mentioned the filmmaking, the documentary in you. The Forrest J. Ackerman DVD last year was amazing. Thank you. I put it on the holiday gift guide last year, and it looks like your Jack Pierce documentary it's going to be just as good, if not better. I hope that it will be better. Um, <laughs> I, I put a lot of work into both of them, but uh, the Jack Pierce has been been about five or six years of research and getting photos and gathering uh, information on him. Uh, with the um, uh, Uncle Ford's Dr. Mansions, I I got to go visit uh, the house, his house in Los Angeles. So mm -hmm. that was kind of easier in a way because I we just pretty much rebuilt the the tour. But the hard part with that is finding his first house and his last house to show off as well. Do you have a strong background in filmmaking? I mean, I did like films with friends when I was a teenager, and okay. uh, I never really got into it professionally. And then, uh, uh, I guess in 2010, I started doing. We started producing more professional kind of material. So I've been slowly but surely working up into uh, hopefully making things that people are entertained by. 
Have you always been influenced by the monsters, the classic horror? Absolutely. I mean, just as a kid growing up, uh, Famous Monsters of Filmland was huge. And I remember my favorite section in my school library was the little movie section. They had a horror section, which I was pretty lucky because later on I found out most kids didn't have a horror section in their grammar school, but I did. So, Oh, wow. To, yeah. So I got to look at the old picture books and, and uh Lo and behold, you know, years later you find out the one guy created all the universal horror monsters, and you're like, holy crud, that, that's amazing, you know, that this one guy did this stuff, so that was one of my inspirations for the film. Tell me you had the Crestwood House books in your school library. You had the photo books, right? Yeah, because those, yeah. Exactly, those are the ones. You, you pull those out and, you know, hardbound with uh, black and white photo of monsters. It's awesome. Mm -hmm. I think Ackerman provided a lot of photos for those books, didn't he? I don't know. I wouldn't be surprised, though. I mean, his, I just saw, you know, doing the Ackerman film, I saw pictures. We went through tons of pictures, and I saw his, his library and his, his file cabinets full of photographs. I can, I just wish, because there's one that has a picture of Jack Pierce on the front of it, uh, one of the uh, drawers and I, uh, of a filing cabinet. I'm like, I just wish I could appear in there, because, I mean, for, like I said, for years I've been collecting material. I have two giant binders of photos of Pierce, but I can only imagine what he had in there. So the monsters influence you. You've been a fan of this material for a while, and it sounds like you've been a fan of Pierce for a while. Why go into filmmaking as opposed to makeup then? Again, like when I did the, the films with my friends as kids, we did a lot of makeup. And oh, okay. I, I was interested in doing the makeup at that time, but uh, I, my influences turned, I, I was in a thrash metal band called Sacrilege BC. So music took first and foremost, you know, priority for a really long time. And then later on when I started uh, November Fire, my, my merchandising company, and then I started getting more interested again about doing films, and that's when I started working on the documentaries. So the makeup never really, it would have taken hold. I really enjoyed it, and Tom Savini was a huge influence at the time, and I really did like the makeup stuff, but I just music was more important, so I, it fell to the wayside. I was going to ask you about the relationship between your movies and November Fire. That's your company. Yeah, yeah. November Fire is my merchandising company. Um, oh, wow. I didn't know that. Yeah. And then I started November Fire recording to, for all the documentaries and for all the music. I had, the first thing I ever released was my music from back in the day. Mm -hmm. So because it was going to just disappear and fall off the face of the earth, and I didn't want that to happen. So that's why I started the, the recordings company. And since then, we've been, we put out, this will be the 12th uh, film. And I think we have five or six CDs. November Fire, I shop at November Fire maybe twice a year. I go through and I take a look at everything. So that's awesome. Thank you. That's a great resource great, no for problem. some great t-shirts and, and DVDs. And that's where I got the, the Ackerman documentary. And I'm assuming that's going to be the primary outlet for Jack Pierce, the maker of monsters. But we've, we sell on Amazon and we oh, sell okay. on the as well. So you can find it wherever. And I know since we started, we've gotten more and more distribution outreach. And so we have a, there's a bunch of uh, Monster Kid kind of places that'll be holding on to and, and selling the, the Jack Pierce documentary. See, you go from being a fan of this kind of material as a kid, you go into the the, the metal, uh, the thrash metal, you said, right? Yeah, I was in a thrash metal band called Sacrifice BC. What pulled you back? The music was great and fun, mm -hmm. but uh, at the end of the day, it's a, a band is, you know, a bunch of people that become your brothers, basically. And then uh, being in a, in a band, especially as a teen and as a 20-year-old, there's lots of drugs involved. So eventually somebody's going to get into trouble, and that's what happened. A couple band members got into trouble. And it pretty much broke the band up, and, and at that point in time, I had to get myself clean. So I had to walk away from that whole scene, and I did that. And, and during that time, my focus changed, and it, I realized that, that uh, it probably isn't the most healthiest uh, um, lifestyle to, to continue doing that. So um, making movies and selling merchandise and stuff like that and focusing on my artwork was what I did, and that was important to me. And my wife helped me a lot with that. Well, that's great. And see, the monsters are good for something, kids. Yeah, the monsters are always good for something. <laughs> <laughs> what was the first documentary you produced? This one was called uh, Remembering Playland, and I live in the San Francisco Bay Area and uh, on the Great Highway. 
uh, right next to the Cliff House uh, in uh, Lands End was a amusement park that closed down in the 70s. Well, it was torn down, and uh, it was called Playland. And uh, it was uh, a destination for, for lots and lots of people in the area, and not much was remembered about it. So uh, my friend Tom Warsh and I uh, made uh, uh, the film Remembering Playland, which was our first documentary, and it, it struck a chord. And uh, it did really well in the Bay Area, and um, so that kind of launched it. It's like, okay, now I have a, a little bit of a nest egg, and I can we can produce into something else, and that's what, it, that's what kind of started the ball rolling. I look at your filmography, and I see the Remembering Playland of the Beach. You did a, a, a highlight video, a documentary on it, The Rock, Ed Wood of the 21st Century, and I've met The Rock, and you captured his frenetic energy on tape. Uh, I, I didn't think it was possible to capture what that man is like <laughs> in person. That's actually Chuck Jarman, uh, who does uh, Halloween makeup, and uh, Jace Whitman, who's uh, another filmmaker. They went and redid all the videotaping of the of uh, David the Rock. I'd run into him at parties all the time. They'd be like, "I'm like, when is that film going to come out? When are you guys going to do it?" And it, it, it went on for years. And finally, I just said to Jace, "I'm like, dude, give me the film. Let me edit it. Let me let's do something with it. Otherwise, it's going to sit on this on my shelf and, and gather dust." Because they have other projects they are working on, and, and they were nice enough to let me get that, that footage. And yeah, I, I really do like that film. But it's just for anybody out there who wants to get it. It's if you are interested in weird, strange filmmaking and weird, strange filmmakers, get it. If, if you're the kind of guy that would buy VHSs back in the day, and, you, and you'd stumble upon some like Iranian weird film that was just mind-blowingly strange, then then it's something to see. But it is long, and you've got to got to have a taste for somewhat of a crazy filmmaker. And, You'll dig it, but it's not for everybody. Sure. <laughs> Somewhat of a crazy filmmaker. <laughs> <laughs> David's great, though. Yeah, David The Rock Nelson. Listeners, if you haven't run into him at, like, say, a Monster Bash or another convention, the man's – I don't know how he does it. Uh, he's just crazy. He's always making movies, and he's always got that giant ant with him. He's always throwing yeah. it in people's faces and taking pictures and taking video. I mean, he's a great guy. You know, I'm friends with him on Facebook. I've chatted with him a few times. But, yeah, he's pretty intense. Yeah, no, he is very intense. And yeah, uh, the documentary we're talking about is uh, David the Rock Nelson of the 21st Century. And I do have uh, Werewolf and the Witch, which is one of his features. Is It's a double disc set. And that one of his movies is on there. So uh, we went and cleaned it up a little bit and, and re- redid the audio so it's more clear because his audio is pretty whacked out sometimes. So if you get that DVD, you will see one of his movies. It's long and it's crazy. And uh, it's David. That's all David. I love it. <laughs> We go from David the Rock Nelson to something a little bit more refined, a little bit more classy with some of the other documentaries you've done. And I, and I have to talk about Acker Mansions because, like I said, I loved it last year. This is a video tour, a DVD tour of the three homes, the three versions of Uncle Forey's Acker Mansion, the, the main house, the smaller house, and then the, the last one that he was in. This was a, a compilation of archival footage, interviews. How difficult was it to get your hands on some of this stuff? It was again collecting, collecting and gathering is kind of the weird process of doing these films. And uh, with with Acker Mansion, I mean, like I said, I got to tour there, so I already had a little bit of material of my own. But then um, Tom Warsh, my friend and a fellow filmmaker on a, a lot of my early films, he also went in and started getting stuff out. And you can hunt down stuff like on just on eBay, you can find like old VHSs and and people's tours, and then you just ask permissions and um, get the material gathered. So between me and him, we probably ended up with. 20, 30 hours of, of people touring with videotapes of the main house. There's the, the sandwich house, the one in the middle. That's the one that almost everybody remembers. That's one that he uh, did the majority of the tours for people with. So that one was pretty covered. But the earlier house was tougher. We found um, some 16 millimeter for the first house, and I got uh, black and white from that. 
and the photographs were harder for that one too. And then the last house, we pretty much just have a photo uh, uh, montage from the last house because I don't know. I mean, I don't want to be depressed or anything, but that last house to me was kind of like, okay, you know, it was his twilight years and he kind of got put into a situation where it's smaller. It was really nice. And, and, uh, it, it, he was still surrounded by everything he loved, but it definitely wasn't the second house, but collecting the material pretty much came from all different directions. And it, you know, just a time process, a process of time. And then eventually you're like, okay, I think we have enough material. Let's look at it and, and see if it fits all fits together and see if we can do something that people will appreciate. I want to make sure I understood this. 20 to 30 hours of tour footage, and you only put out a 70-minute documentary? Yeah, I would well, watch I mean, every <laughs> moment of that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you, some of us can. I mean, some, when you really love a subject, you can. But when I say that, it's like, you know, the, especially the second house, the tour was always the same. That's the one thing with uh, 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 Forrest Jackman. He had the same, like, box of stories that he would pull out every time. So we would have, like a crappy video with him doing the exact same tour that we'd have a good version of, but he might do something unique in that crappy video. There might be something odd or something that you didn't see in all the other ones. So yeah, I agree with you. I mean, I, I enjoy going through it all, but at a certain point you got to go, okay, let's make a film out of this. I mean, you also got to realize that, you know, that we're not all the same brain wiring. We don't, you know, me and you can sit around and watch this stuff forever, but there's the people out there that you want to say, okay, here's, here's the glimpse of it. Here's what it was and try and get that flavor portrayed and entertaining enough that everybody will enjoy it. And that's a testament to your editing skills as well, because I never felt bored, and I did feel like there was a lot of material packed in there. I still think about some of the th images that I saw in that. I'm particularly thinking right now of the pictures of Barbara Steele in the house, who just has yeah. this look on her face like she doesn't quite know what to think of this guy. Yeah, well, I mean, you could make a whole film on Barbara Steele. Where, you know, Barbara Steele is amazing. Yes, she is. And I, I got a feeling that she was put in a lot of situations where she, had, she looked like that a lot, I bet, <laughs> because, I mean... <laughs> I'm sure anybody who ran into her was more than happy to tour her around wherever they lived or whatever they did, you know, just to give her, you know, it's like, look at this wonderful woman. Let's uh, come with me to this weird place. Cause you're crazy. But, yeah, that those are, those are very cool pictures. Oh yeah. They're great. The art of makeup today is developing so rapidly that there is no such thing as an impossible makeup. You'll see, you'll feel the awful creeping, crawling terror that stands your hair on end. He had his own sanctum sanctorum. Jack Pierce fancied himself the maker of monsters. He is arguably the single most influential makeup artist in history. He created the looks of characters for horror classics, such as Frankenstein and Wolfman and the Bride of Frankenstein and the Mummy. I want to talk about the Jack Pierce documentary. That's the new one that's coming out in October. Yes. Now, with something like this, it's not like he can just pull out some VHS tapes he found on eBay with Jack Pierce. How far back did you have to go to find material? Doing the research, I just uh, the earliest stuff I could find was interviews in magazines mm -hmm. and uh, you know, like the new movie magazines and stuff like that from Hollywood, because he did actually do a, a lot of uh, um, articles on like just how to wear makeup for like women, like like hey, really don't go in the sun. Yeah, it's, there's stuff in the, that I found out that's not really. I, I mentioned in the documentary that he did articles in magazines, and that's what he did. That's the earliest stuff I found. And then later on, you could find, like, uh, in Modern Mechanics, stuff that his interviews talking about the actual process of doing makeup in magazines. I mean, in movies. And then uh, uh, just finding uh, stills, because, again, there's all kinds of resources to find stills. And as soon as I started, you start tracking down what 
films he worked on besides the famous monster ones, then you start finding all kinds of other material because you can say, hey, let me go look at three girls. Let's look at all the publicity stills. And boom, you got a picture of Pierce working on one of them. It's like, okay, cool. You can find other material that he didn't work. People just assumed he was a horror makeup guy, and he wasn't. He was Universal's makeup guy. He was the, the head of Universal's makeup, so he did all the makeups. And it, most of those were you know, traditional glamour girl or, or glamour men makeup. So that's what he was a pro at. He just happened to do really, really good, spectacular horror makeup. After finding the interviews in magazines stuff like that, I started reaching out further, and I started running other people who had the same interests. Uh, Scott Essman wrote the first uh, the book that I ran into on Jack Pierce, and I, of course, reached out to him and said, hey, I'm thinking about doing a film on him, and he had a wealth of material, and he's been my sounding board the entire time. I mean... He's he's knows the history. When I went to Sarah Karloff to get the home movies uh, that uh, Boris Karloff had, which have there's some that have Pierce in it. Even Sarah Karloff's like, oh, have you talked to Scott Esman? He's the expert on Jack Pierce. And I'm like, yes, I'm already talking to him, and he's been totally helpful. He's still helpful now. So once I got those connections put together, he started getting even more material. So it starts coming out of the woodworks, and then eventually I was offered uh, access to his scrapbook. And once I got access to his scrapbook. All bets were off. That had so much material and so much wealth of the films away from the horror stuff that he did. And I was able to put a lot of dots together and, and connect a lot of things that uh, I wouldn't have, else wouldn't have had. So the process, like I said, five or six years now of, of collecting it, my wife constantly pulled out a receipt and says, look, you're taking, you're buying pictures back, you know, way back then of Pierce. So it just slowly but surely all this stuff starts coming out of the woodwork and, and you hit the right people and then it just all comes together and, and it's a long process but uh, luckily in this situation it worked out really well for me. You got your hands on a scrapbook. Wow. that That's that's a monster kid dream right there. I, I know you yeah. probably had a lot of non-horror material in it but it's Jack Pierce. Come on. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and when I say I got my hands on it I, I, have, I got uh, photographs of it. Sure. But still. Yeah. yeah the, and also the, there's a really okay again here's the bummer part about this. His book has been has gone through several different people's hands. I mean, it's been bought and sold a few times, and unfortunately, it's being the most of the monster stuff has been pulled out of it now. So the photographs I got, even the ones, there's pages that are blank and pages that just have a couple pictures that aren't valuable. Uh, you know what I say is valuable. Instead of keeping it all together, people are pulling out the pictures of Karloff and selling them individually. And um, the autographs pages that I'll be showing the documentary, Pierce was good on collecting that autographs from you know the people he worked with. There's big gaps in it, which means, you know, that's the Lugosi autograph, that's the Karloff autograph, that's, you know, those are the, the big horror stars that have been taken out and sold off piecemeal. So the scrapbook has been looted. But for me, uh, the famous, the, the, the monster stuff was, was pretty easy to get all the information on because people, you know, like that are just intensely willing to throw a bunch of time to, to research everything. But the other stuff was the stuff that was, for me, it was like eye-opening. I'm like, wow, look at this, look at this, look at this, look at this, you know. That was cool. So the bummer part, it's the, the scrapbooks and pillage. The good part is that at least it's been remembered this far, you know. Still amazing. Still amazing. Yeah. And I would, I would think that almost it would be even more exciting to see some of the non-horror material because it's not as widespread. As Monster Kids, we've all got monster magazines and monster books on our shelves, so I'm sure we've seen a lot of these photos. But to find something where he might have done some work on, like, uh, oh, the Robin Hood movie that he did or, you know, some of the, uh, you know, the, the Buck Privates Come Home or something like that, to see yeah, something like that's, that, it's, that's, that's got to be the find. Yeah, no, it was cool. It, um, just what you're saying, like Joan of Arc, when he did a Joan of Arc, there's photos of him working on the actors in there and then of uh, – in the scrapbook was 
her dressed as a witch, which he made her up for a Halloween party at the location, and they had a party, and she was a witch running around serving people tea and stuff. Oh, wow. So stuff like that you're going to do. Yeah, that's really cool. And then also, through the scrapbook is how I really figured out who Blanche's wife was, which I've only found two pictures of her, and one of them, great enough, is when he re- accepted his uh, award for the mummy from Karloff. His wife is standing right next to him. And uh, then I found him at a, another costume party with a woman dressed in makeup, and that, we figured out, was his wife because of the, she's wearing the same brooch as the other picture. So I only have two pictures of Blanche, but it's because of the scrapbook that I was able to do that. Wow. The award he won for the mummy, what, what award was that for? For the makeup on the, on the mummy, and it was, it, it was a predecessor to Academy Awards. Right. In later interviews, he said he won an Academy Award, which technically he didn't. It was, a, it was like a... a cost me what was like a makeup award so it wasn't technically a, a, an oscar but it was before the oscars gotcha that's what i was wondering about because i know that he told people he had the academy but it wasn't quite they didn't really have a makeup division back then right i'm glad he got the award because i, I get the impression now i don't know nearly as much about him as you do uh, obviously he made a movie about him but I, I get the impression that he didn't get a lot of respect towards the end there yeah i mean 28 people showed up to his funeral so yeah oh wow yeah, he, he, there, but I mean, it's Hollywood, and I think Hollywood's the same way now. I mean, it, it, you're not going to get, if you're in your prime, everybody wants a piece of you. And if, if you're, you know, you're in your twilight years and, you're, and it's fading away, it, everybody's looking for the next prime person. You know, that's, that's just, I think that's life in the glitzy Hollywood. And it's unfortunate because he was amazing and, and, and still his influence is, is still resonating quite loudly today. Um, one of the things I, I was, somebody, I can't remember who quoted it, but the, the quote was, you know, Every Halloween, all of Jack Pierce's legacy comes out to celebrate, which is, you know, Frankenstein, Dracula, the Wolfman, the Mummy. They come out. Little kids still dress up like them. So every Halloween, we celebrate Jack Pierce. And the majority of the people don't know that, but we do. You know, it's like, yeah, there it is. His influence is still soundly resonating today. So, yeah, I don't think he did get a respect that he deserved during his time, but, but he's still, for, for us, and, and, and especially if after you see the film, you're going to see it. It's like, yeah, he's still here. Really, he's still, he, we're still celebrating him. If anything, it's getting louder. Oh, sure, especially now that Universal's talking about remaking their movies again, that sort of thing. These images are iconic. A couple of years ago, yeah. my wife dressed up as the Bride of Frankenstein for a Halloween party, even though she hadn't really seen the movie, which... You know, nobody's perfect, but <laughs> I pulled out the DVD and I put it in and we were amazed that the bride is only on screen for a couple of minutes, yet it is such yeah. an iconic look and important figure in monster moviedom. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. It's amazing. And then, I mean, just just off that, look at the mummy. I mean, the mummy makeup is a flash in the movie. It's just a few seconds on screen, yet... Everybody knows what the mummy looks like. I mean, that in, in all the interviews with him, the articles, how, how ten hours of work to put the mummy makeup on. It's like, yeah, but it was one day of shooting, basically, and then the rest of it was just the uh, you know the uh, latex on on Carl on Boris Karloff's face for the, the the main mummy character. But yeah, you're right. Those those things popped up just for short periods of time for a lot of them. But uh, they're so striking and so strong. How into his background did you get with the documentary? His whole life. I mean. Oh, okay. Yeah. So we go from uh, him. Being a Greek immigrant coming to uh, um, to Ellis Island, going to um, Chicago, and he became a, a semi-professional b- baseball player in Chicago. And then when they moved to California, because California was basically advertising that they had the, the new climate and the most modern infrastructure, so the family moved out here. He when he came out here to San Francisco originally, he was in the 1906 earthquake, and that's when they moved to Los Angeles. And when he was in Los Angeles, he met Blanche, and that's when he uh, he broke off a relationship with his family. So I start 
right from the beginning and go all the way to the very, very end. He wanted to be an actor at first, didn't he? He was an actor. He was more than an actor. He, in the earliest stuff I have is like 1910 of oh, him wow. doing stuff. And um, uh, he was an actor. Uh, he probably he worked on the cameras. He's a cameraman. He probably directed some of the features he worked on. So as a makeup man, when he got to Universal, um, he knew his, his stuff inside out. I mean, he's got a reputation. Like, whenever you talk about Jack Pierce, most people are like, oh, I heard he's a curmudgeon. I heard he's terrible. He's awful. Well, the guy had, you know, a 36-year career in Hollywood. He worked at Universal for the majority of his life. And one of his best friends in in Hollywood was probably Boris Karloff. You don't do that. You don't have those things as a curmudgeon. You, that's a good person. That's a good, hardworking, nice person. You know what I mean? That's obviously he. There was something about him that was really good. I think he didn't put up with with people wanting to be stars. He didn't put up with people coming in and saying, "Well, you got to treat me special because I'm a you know I'm a special actress or I'm a special actor." Because he had been through it all. He'd already been there and done that. And he was the the bad stories you hear about him from my what I feel from it after reading everything is that there was a several actors out there that just said, oh, just badmouth him because he was a jerk to me. It's like, no, you were just being a prima donna, and he was, he was treating you as a professional, and his professional opinion, you weren't worth the time. So, like, <laughs> Elsa, Lan, <laughs> Elsa Lan at Chester's uh, autobiography, she talks smack about him. Cheney Jr. obviously didn't like him, but I think those are people that you can reflect on and say, well, maybe they had the problem, not him. You know what I mean? Everything that I've read as well, and again, I've not done nearly as much research, he was a professional, and it was about doing a professional job. And if you weren't on the same wavelength, then yeah, you're going to butt heads a little bit. But I've also read that he and Karloff got along famously. Again, like you said, you don't have those relationships, and you don't get talked about by people like Karloff if you're not, you know, a professional and and warm and able to work with people. So, absolutely, yeah. yeah. Also, I've heard that maybe some of the curmudgeonly ness of it might have come towards the end of his career when he was doing things like Mr. Ed and Universal kind of shoved him to the side. Yeah, I, well, Universal shoved everybody to the side That's I mean, true. when they traded hands and, and they eventually got rid of the majority of people who were working there. He, he, but he worked pretty much until like he, he, he died three years after he finished his work on Mr. Ed. So, I mean, he worked pretty much his whole life. So, yeah, I, you know, who knows? He was in Hollywood that whole time, so he saw it change and you know, I, I, well, I'm not there. We weren't there. So I don't know. But you could be absolutely right on that, you know. Sure, sure. Now, I don't want to get too down, though. I mean, this is about celebrating Jack Pierce and, <laughs> yeah. you know, these, these incredible monster makeups and, and what he's contributed to our lives as monster kids. And one thing that I wanted to do with you is do a countdown. Do our, our top okay. three favorite Jack Pierce monster creations. You know, you do your, your number three. I'll do mine and then back and forth, back and forth. Okay. Do, do you have a list? Are you, are you ready to dive into that? I do. Uh, oh. My number three, mm-hmm. so we're talking number one is my favorite and number yes. three is my least yes. favorite. Mm-hmm. But I mean, obviously, out of three, right. I, guess. Yeah, I would right. say number three. Would we're be, counting down. Yeah. Yeah. The number three would be the Wolfman. Johnny Williams was killed? Yes. Find something? 
animal tracks. Whoever is bitten by a werewolf and lives becomes a werewolf himself. Oh, don't hand me that. You're just wasting your time. The wolf bit you, didn't he? Yeah. Yeah, he did. You wouldn't want to run away with a murderer, would you? Oh, Larry, you're not. You know you're not. I killed Bela. I killed Richardson. If I stay here any longer, you can't tell who'll be next. It's a full face makeup, um, and a werewolf of London, when he first had the, the tryout, they took off some of the makeup because in the script it basically said that you could tell it was the character still, so they mm-hmm. uh, originally used two test makeups where he had a full face that he later did with uh, Cheney Jr., but uh, as a makeup, I mean, no, nobody did a full, you know, dog-looking face like that ever. It was awesome, and the way he would singe the hair so it looked like it was like a boar's hair that had been gone through the wilderness. It's, it's, you know, there's a famous picture of him with a, a iron burning the hair off of a Chinese face, um, and that's what he did. So, I mean, it's an amazing makeup altogether. It really is. It's fantastic, and again, it's one of those iconic looks that we were talking about. You, you can't think yeah. of werewolf without thinking about the wolfman. Well, my number three, uh, we already mentioned it briefly. I would say the mummy. Death, eternal punishment for anyone who opens this casket. The mummy. Is it dead or alive? Human or inhuman? You'll know. You'll see. You'll feel the awful, creeping, crawling terror that stands your hair on end and brings a scream to your lips. There's nothing on earth like the mummy. You will not remember what I show you now, and yet I shall awaken memories of love and crime and death. Now I know his horrible plan. He's going to kill her and make her a living mummy like himself. I love the way the mummy looks, even though it's on screen for just a second. And I know a lot of it's Karloff's performance, the way he kind of moved, but he wouldn't have been able to move that way without the makeup inspiring him. And that makeup is such... Just it's a work of art. I could sit there and stare yeah. at that thing for hours. Totally. Yeah, no, I, I'm, the mummy is an amazing makeup. Uh, and uh, it's funny because I have uh, some of the earlier pictures up here. Um, there's one that's a collage that he would, he would hand out as his uh, sheet to, to um, uh, production houses saying, here's what I can do. And there's a picture of uh, Pierce dressed up as the mummy. It's actually in the fold of the DVD. When you get the DVD inside, there's a picture of him as the mummy. Oh, wow. And it's just, he's just wrapped up in a in you know in cloth and it, there's very little makeup so it, it shows how far he had gone when he became just a, a professional you know head of makeup and that's all he had to focus on not acting or anything else and just on the makeup that the strides he made are amazing yeah it's uh, especially considering when the make, uh, the mummy came out it was the early 30s so the materials aren't exactly the same that maybe he had in the 50s or even in the 40s so it's just an amazing piece of work absolutely yeah yeah and you know that's interesting that you bring that up too because i think he worked pretty much until Later on, when he started actually using appliance kind of materials, uh, he worked from 1910 on with pretty much the same materials because uh, there, there wasn't a professional you know makeup line out there until like Frankenstein when the, when uh, Max Factor started actually helping working on that kind of material. So 
yeah, you're right. He, who knew what he was using? You know, there's there's stories from when he was a child in, in his childhood that he would use the whatever he found on the hillside in Greece to make himself up look scary and scare his family and stuff like that. So he was using <laughs> anything he could find. I would love to see pictures of that. I know they probably don't exist, but I would love to see pictures of that. I yes, I you know they don't exist, but yeah, that would be an amazing, amazing thing. That'd be great. I'd love to. Do that. It sounds like the kind of thing you and I would do. I mean. <laughs> No, yeah, any of us, yeah. you know, any of us that watched watched his movies, you know, the makeup he did as uh-huh. little kids. Of course, we did that. We all ran around the house with crazy stuff on our face. <laughs> I, that, the, I remember the Dick Smith uh, makeup kit that came out as a kid, and, and uh, his book, and it's like, you know, use chewing gum and peanuts for your teeth to make them look crazy. It's like, yeah, of course, we all did that. Of course, awesome. of course. Yeah, my my mother got tired of it after a while, but yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah, and if you like David the Rock Nelson, who's still out there doing it, exactly. <laughs> All right, so what's your number two? Okay, number two is Frankenstein. When this dead hand moves, the monster created by a man they called Mad is turned loose to strike terror into the hearts of men. (laughs) To shock women into uncontrolled hysteria. (laughs) To prey upon the innocence of children. This is the story you've heard about, talked about. The spine-tingling, blood-chilling story that stuns your emotions. Frankenstein. Don't touch that! For the ghoulishness of it, I mean, it's the you know, walking corpse, basically. And and the, the giant head. Uh, there's. Uh, I point out a couple things that, that I, I think are, are relevant in in the documentary about why and how the makeup was developed the way it was. And um, I don't know if that's going to be controversial to some people, but uh, it's what I when I, in my research what I discover. I'm like, oh, okay, that makes sense. That makes sense. But Frankenstein and, and Boris Karloff's uh, contributions to it. I mean, taking his fake teeth out, his his uh, cheeks sunk in more, and then the walk and the, and the, all the mannerisms, and, and it's just amazing. Not only makeup, but the character, everything. But the makeup definitely is is what makes Frankenstein Frankenstein. Probably one of the most iconic of the Universal monsters of classic monsters. Period. And it's just yeah, so. Absolutely. I mean, it, it makes sense to me the way it moves, the way it looks, the flat top head, the bolts, and that everything makes sense to me. And you're right about Karloff pulling out the nitrous to have the the indented cheek. Later makeups would just turn that into a dot of makeup on the cheek. Which but, is amazing. It's like, yeah. it's like look at the mole on uh, Glenn Strange's face. What is that for, anyway? <laughs> <laughs> Pretty funny, <laughs> but it's great makeup. How long did that take to do? Do you know? They did well. I mean, the the actual process of of making getting that makeup made was probably around six months. Um, wow. But then to actually put it on in the mornings was three hours for uh, for him to put it on to Karloff. That's that's amazing work and good call, good call. And we'll probably come back to it here in a second. But my number two, <laughs> not to spoil anything, <laughs> but my number two is from another Frankenstein film. I'm going to go with Igor from Son of Frankenstein. As a man, I could destroy him. Scientist, I should do everything in my power to bring him back to conscious life. 
Benson, turn on the generator. Produced on a vast scale, Son of Lichtenstein presents the most fearsome cast in the history of the screen. The Rathbone. In his heart, warm human emotions. In his mind, the monster mania. Karloff, rising from the past to spread new terror. Lugosi, sinister, mysterious, evil. Lionel Atwill, grim hatred in his blood. I think you're a worse fiend than your father. Where is this monster? Where is he? I'll stay by your side until you confess. And if you don't, I'll feed you to the villagers. Absolutely great. You are awesome. Yeah. I mean, it's Lugosi playing it to the hilt. He gets to do everything that he wants, anything that he wants, basically. But again, the makeup, especially in Son of Frankenstein. In Ghost of Frankenstein, it's a little cleaned up. But in Son of Frankenstein, he's got the teeth and the hair and everything just works so well. Yeah. And his part was tiny. Originally, his yeah. part was tiny. And uh, and it was expanded on and on purpose. And uh, yeah, I think he walked away with that film. And yeah, again, amazing makeup. And it's the Igor character. This is the first time you see an Igor in a Frankenstein film. Uh, you know, contrary to some popular belief, I suppose the assistant in the first Frankenstein is actually named Fritz. He's not an Igor. <laughs> so you've got right. the first appearance of this Igor assistance type. And again, he just looks great with the teeth and the makeup and the hair. He looks disheveled. You can tell it's Lugosi in the makeup, but you can tell it's Lugosi having fun through the makeup. And I think that's maybe a, a hallmark of a good makeup design. As you can see the actor behind it still working through it. Not being totally covered yeah. up by something. So, yeah, actually, I, in in the documentary, there's a uh, we narrate an article from a, a, um, a makeup magazine back in the day, and, um, and actually, it's a modern cinematographer film magazine. It gives uh, Pierce's uh, exact uh, opinion on what his job is on the set. So, so you'll get to hear Pierce basically saying, "This is my job," and he does he says exactly what you said. The character has to come through the makeup. I'm, I'm not making makeup to be makeupy. I'm making makeup to make the character better. That's my job. So you get you get that in there, and with with the uh, Igor particularly the broken neck that that piece is amazing. The, the, the broken neck you can see through the film. The neck piece is great, and, and yeah. I would have to think maybe even kind of groundbreaking at the time because it it looks uncomfortable and hideous and and wrong and gross on so many levels, but it's still so good. There's a beauty to yeah. it, even though it's Igor and he's ugly. There's a beauty to it. When he knocks on it, oh. <laughs> so good. Oh, it's great! It's great. Well, what's your number one? All right, my number one for for Pierce is the makeup he did in 1927, The Monkey Talks. Really, and I'm not familiar whole, with this. Okay, nobody's familiar with it. But this is the makeup that made Pierce. This is the one that that Universal turned and said, "Oh wow, look at this! This is amazing." The Monkey Talks is, it's not a lost film. I actually got a transfer. I had to go to uh, Eastman Kodak and they had a 35 and I got a transfer of it. So I, I have a clip of it in the movie and you wow. share the makeup clearly. It's, the story is about a uh, group of uh, circus actors and uh, to become more famous, they decide their, their acrobat is going to dress up like a monkey and they're going to take him on the stage and he'll mumble words. So it's called The Monkey Talks because it's crazy, you know, chimpanzee that will talk every now and then. But the makeup is of a chimpanzee, and it puts Planet of the Apes to shame. It's so 
good. It looks like a chimpanzee. In the articles that came out at the time in 27, one of them said, the well-trained chimpanzee has almost human-like qualities. They turned it around. They didn't even realize this is a guy in makeup. They thought they trained a chimpanzee. That's how good the makeup is. Wow. And the clip I have is, is of uh, the actor coming down a staircase and, and lighting up a, uh, a cigar or a pipe and reading the newspaper in the makeup. And it's, it's a clear shot I have of that film. And when you see it, it's, it's in the trailer, actually. If you, if you go on uh, and look up the trailer on YouTube... Uh, there'll be a, a really short clip, and you'll see you'll see the monkey talks uh, makeup on that that amazing makeup. So I said I'm not familiar with the movie. Now I feel like I I may have lost some monster kid points because it sounds like something I need to see. Can't yeah, it's it's definitely worth seeing. I mean, again, it's rare. There might be a cop a, a version of it up on YouTube because everything is now. It's, like I said, I have a copy of it, and um, uh, I want to put music to it. It's still it's still uh, I don't know legally where it's at rights wise. So I wanted to show it with Pierce as a double feature, but again, I don't know where the rights are for it, so I'm not going to test the waters on that. No, no, but I would imagine 1927, that's got to be pretty darn close to public domain, but but still, who knows? That's amazing. Yeah. I, I have to see this film. I'm going to go look at YouTube when we're done here. <laughs> All right. Yeah, it's on the trailer. If you see it, you'll see it. It's the first one in the uh, when I go through the, the first four or five makeups of the years. It's right there. Holy cow. I mean, I am. I don't want to give the impression that I'm not paying attention to what we're talking about here, but I just did a Google image <laughs> search. And wow. For 1927, this is amazing. Yeah. The, uh, th that's one thing also with this is that the people that I talk to that are, that are historians and, and the research you do, you, you do stumble across stuff. You find stuff. So I don't know anything about anything. But every time I do one of these projects, I learn so much. And that's part of the joy for me. It's kind of like, you know, when you're a kid and you get your the next issue of Famous Monsters and you don't know what's in there and you open up the Christmas story page, that's kind of making these films for me too. It's like, you know, I got to go and look at Jack Pierce's scrapbook. That's pretty awesome. I mean, mm -hmm. and, and I learned a lot. So it, all of us, I mean, I, I hope that everybody learns something when they, something new and, and, and it, it's a little bit like Christmas when you watch it. This is amazing. These pictures that I'm looking at are great. So listeners, hit pause, go do a quick Google image search <laughs> and then come back here because <laughs> I'm going to tell you what my number one Jack Pierce makeup is. And I really struggled with this one, actually. I mean, ultimately, I went with Frankenstein, which you already talked about a little bit. It is iconic. It is one of the granddaddies of classic monster horror. It wasn't the first universal monster, but it may as well <laughs> have been yeah, because of everything yeah. that has spawned. And yeah, I just love sure. the look of it. I love the look of it. Although I almost put the black cat in here because of the makeup so subtle in that one. Yeah, no, the black cat makeup, uh, was the call-off one particularly. Oh, it's, yes. It's amazing, yeah. But no, I would go with Frankenstein. And there's been controversy, like you said, over the years. Who designed it? What went into that? Who did what? It's just an amazing makeup. I don't think there's an argument there. I think uh, I pointed. I go over it in the uh, in the film. Uh, the beginning of publicity, all the way up till I think like the the 60s. It's all Pierce. Every article, every mm -hmm. interview, everything points to Pierce. And then as modern books started coming out, and, and works of fiction started coming out, they started pointing it towards uh, James Whale unfairly and it's that's resonating now so i'm hoping that's one of the wrongs that gets righted with this film that people go oh okay yeah i see now that it was clearly pierce yeah that's what i was referring Did whale, to whales have been influenced and they call have influence absolutely but pierce designed that makeup yeah that's definitely what i was referring to because whale does get a lot of credit and i think as great as whale is we don't want to take any way anything away from pierce i mean 
he, he designed the makeup. He just, that was his, yeah. that was his work, his art. Absolutely. So, so it would be United Around. And fortunately, it sounds like maybe even The Monkey Talks is available to view somewhere, but these other movies are also available on DVD and Blu-ray. So listeners, if you haven't seen these movies, I can't imagine you haven't. But if you have, well, except for The Monkey Talks, <laughs> you have to do yourself a favor and see these movies. I know I'm going to check out The Monkey Talks, like I said, when we're done here, because that looks incredible. Yeah, it's wow. a fun movie, too. I'm not going to give away the, the plot. I'm not going to put out a spoiler there for a 1927 movie, but it's a good movie. <laughs> I think the statute of limitations has expired, but yeah, let's let's hold off. <laughs> yes, for, for the sake of your enjoyment, I won't say anything. There, there we go. There we go. How long is the documentary going to be? It's 82 minutes long. Oh, okay, good, good. That sounds like a lot of material packed into there, and. Oh, I can't wait to get my hands on it. When does it come out? It's up now on, on the different websites. So when this episode goes out, it will have been available. People need to buy this. And November Fire in Amazon? Novemberfire.com is the website. So it's Novemberfire.com. Mm-hmm. That can, you can find all of our stuff there. All the movies, T-shirts, patches, stickers, all kinds of stuff. And then um, it will be available on eBay and Amazon. And uh, unfortunately, Amazon is a little bit more expensive because they take a, a pretty good chunk of it. Right. So, it's uh, Amazon. Yeah, the best is just go to NovemberFire.com and get it there. I can't wait for it. Do you have something on deck for the next documentary already? Yeah, um, yeah. I, it's I'm, actually the film uh, that I'm working on right now is not even a documentary. It's, oh. uh, it's uh, okay. I, I always wanted to do a film on the history of Halloween, and the more you research the history of Halloween, the more you realize that nobody really knows exactly how it happened and how it. I mean, you know the basics of it. You know, the, it's a ritual that came from another country and blah 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 blah. But for American Halloween. It kind of sounds more like it came from Thanksgiving to me. But anyway, I always want to do a film on it, but the more I research more, it's like I won't be able to do a really firm grasp of this, which is fine. You can do something, but it's not exactly what I want. And the more I thought about it is the more I thought, you know, we all love Halloween. It's become, you know, the second largest holiday behind Christmas now in, in America. And almost all of my friends are all, you know, huge Halloween fans. So it's become an adult kind of oriented party situation now, you know. Mm-hmm. And I love Halloween. I'm sure you love Halloween because of our childhood of, of growing up and going to trick or treating and dressing up. And the things that we knew about Halloween are different than they are now. I mean, in our brains, it's the same. But, for, you know, from 1960s to the 2015s, it's, it's, it's completely changed. So what we're doing is we're interviewing three-year-old to ten-year-old kids about Halloween. And I'm going to make a film about what they think is Halloween so that when oh, wow. I can sit down and say, okay, what do they think about Halloween? Because that's how, the age that influenced me and impacted me the most. So I think that'll be interesting for people, adults, that enjoy Halloween to look back and say, oh, that's magic that happened. And it's, com- it's, it's not completely different. I mean, it's Halloween, but the kids' stories are pretty interesting and, and a little bit different than what you'd think. So that's what I'm working on right now. That sounds right up my alley. We were talking earlier about the picture books that influenced us that we got out of the school library and what Halloween is and that we celebrate these monsters at Halloween and Jack Pierce's makeup on Halloween. When I was a kid, I remember writing a paper in grade school. I don't know what I was thinking, but I wrote this paper about how you shouldn't dress up as little princesses and, and kings and things like that at Halloween. You should dress up as the monsters. You should celebrate the monsters at Halloween. So you were saying that, like, that that would have been me as a kid. That, I was right there. <laughs> And you're absolutely, that's, I was the same kid doing the same thing. And, you yeah. know, the, the, the coolest thing that, well, I don't know if it's cool or not, but like you're saying, you know, don't dress up as princesses and kings and dress up as monsters. Now, for these kids, the, the three to ten-year-olds that I'm interviewing, the impact of gore, of the, the gore movies and the horror movies are, is massive. So there's, it's no longer like, you know, dancing skeletons and black cats. It's like, you know, witches chopping people's heads off and zombies eating people. And I'm like, wow, 
I didn't have that, and this, this, that's the influence on them for Halloween now. So there's stuff like that that's starting to pop up, which I think is going to be pretty intriguing and fun for us to see. Like, wow, you know, you're going to see the magic, but you're going to also say, wow, our culture has changed so much, and the impact is so much different than what we were as kids and what they are as kids now. So it should be fun. I'm having fun actually doing it right now. I'm going to try and get out my next Halloween. Yeah, when I see uh, a child's costume of Leatherface at the Spirit Halloween store, you know it's a little different now. <laughs> yeah, totally. That's what I'm talking about. And, and their stories are the same. It's like it, I'm sure we would talk about witches and black hats in the moon and you know skeletons and stuff like that. And they're talking about you know crazy you know eyeballs popping out and cutting people's heads off. So I'm like, wow, this is crazy. It's nuts. That's insane. But it sounds fascinating. Yeah. You think next year, next Halloween, it'll be out? Yeah, next Halloween, I'll actually have that out. That sounds great. And I'm assuming NovemberFire.com is where people are going to want to go. Do you have a blog or a news section on your site people can follow along? I get so busy with everything else that I know my social media skills need more attention. I have a, a Facebook page, but um, I should make a November Fire Facebook page. And right now, I don't have anything but NovemberFire.com. But if I do make something in the near future, it'll be announced on that. Okay. Well, listeners, just keep listening to this show because I'll watch November Fire for you. <laughs> okay, cool. and as soon as the Halloween DVD is announced I'll, I'll mention it there and again Jack Pierce the maker of Monsters is the name of the new documentary people I think you're going to need to see this I've not seen it yet I can't wait to get my hands on a copy Streffen thank you for bringing some attention to somebody who doesn't get as much attention when it comes or credit when it comes to these monsters. So thank you. No, no, thank you. Thanks for, for helping get the word out. And uh, I hope that everybody enjoys the film. Uh, if they enjoyed 10% as much as I did in making it, then it's, I got a hit. It's going to well, be great. That, that's what it's about, right? I mean, that, that love comes through. That's the trick. Yeah, that's the trick. Streffen, we'll have you back on the show down the line, maybe talk about that other documentary once it's ready, or just talk about classic monster movies. That sounds great. I would love to. Sounds good. Thanks, Streffen. to NovemberFire.com, click on the link for Jack Pierce, the maker of Monsters, and you're going to see a place where you can click on theatrical schedule and you'll see where you can see the movie in person. This episode is going out on the 20th of October, and as of this recording right now, he's got one, two, three, four, five screenings scheduled in Sacramento, San Rafael, Santa Rosa, and St. Helena. These are all in California, or if you're in the Seattle, Washington area, it's going to be playing at the Grand Illusion Cinema as well. Again, get over to NovemberFire.com. Check out the link to Jack Pierce, the maker of Monsters. See where you can see the movie. You can buy the movie directly from them. Or, as Streffen said, you can go to Amazon as well. I'll tell you what, I'll add it to the store link over at monsterkidradio.net. Streffen, thanks for taking the time to chat with us. And, yeah, at this point, I have watched the documentary, and thank you. It's incredible. White Zombie. A new novelization of the classic horror movie from award-winning author Stephen D. Sullivan. Available now in print and all ebook formats. Find it on Amazon, Smashwords, Drive-Thru Fiction, and other quality outlets. Also available in a special edition, including the complete movie script. Grab White Zombie before it grabs you. Details at sdsullivan.com. Monster Kid Radio wants you. If you have wiki skills, here's the thing. Monster Kid Radio is going to be putting together a Wikipedia Cyber Street team. If you are skilled in the ways of Wikipedia, if you can speak their language and code their coding, we would like to ask you 
for your help. Now, this is not a formalized campaign or anything like that, but if you ever hear anything about any of the topics that we talk about here on Monster Kid Radio that you think needs to be on Wikipedia, well, go ahead and do it. Monster Kid Radio does have a Wikipedia page, so you can go ahead and link back to us over there. We're just trying to get more information about these movies out into the general public, kind of make it a little bit more common knowledge, because the more people who know about these movies and know the trivia about these movies, the better. The more monster kids there are, well, the more people we get to go see awesome movies with and talk about movies with and go to conventions. I mean, it's part of our spreading the word and fighting the good fight for these films. So if you know how to use Wikipedia and you hear somebody mention something about Nosferatu, Creature from the Black Lagoon, House of Wax, Destination Interspace, any movie that we've talked about here on the show, we'd like to encourage you to update Wikipedia with that information. To be clear, I'm not asking you to update the Monster Kid Radio Wikipedia page. We don't need that. What we do need is more information about, well, what we love out there on the internet. As a reminder, those of you in the Portland, Oregon area, there are two Monster Kid Radio crashes coming up this month. There may be more depending on what pops up in the area, but I can tell you for sure that if you're out here on October 25th, you're more than welcome to join me. For the screening of Dracula and the Spanish version of Dracula at the Century 16 Cedar Hills Theater in Beaverton, Oregon. Showtime is 2 o'clock. It's going to be awesome. Fathom Events is putting this together and they do good work. I saw their double feature of Frankenstein and the Bride of Frankenstein a few years ago. And to have these two Dracula films back to back. Oh man, I'm getting goosebumps just thinking about it. If you're a Facebook user, look up Monster Kid Radio Crashes Dracula and Spanish Dracula, and I'd love to meet you out there. I'll be running around with my recorder. It's going to be hard to miss. Also, on October 30th, at the Northwest Film Center in Portland, Oregon, Friday, October 30th, showtime 9.15 for I Walked with a Zombie. Yeah, this will be good. I've talked about I Walked with a Zombie on the show in the past with Paul McComas. I love this movie. This is one of my favorite all-time zombie films, and I even felt that way back when I was a zombie kid. This movie is incredible, and I cannot wait to see it at the Northwest Film Center. Again, look up Monster Kid Radio Crashes. I Walked with a Zombie on Facebook to find the event, or I'll just see you out there. Again, I'll have my recorder. I hope to record a little bit at the crashes and put that on a future episode of Monster Kid Radio. Although, if you're shy, you don't have to be on the show. I'd still love to meet you. And out of their West Indian island comes a tale of terror and voodoo, of witchcraft and zombies, and all the weird black magic that the white man seldom sees. It is a tale of brother against brother, and their love for a woman who lived with the dead. And it is also the tale of a young nurse who never believed such things could happen. to tell me that the voodoo priest could cure Mrs. Holland? Better doctors. Dambala, this woman is ill. This is the ceremony of voodoo death, a ceremony that seeks the life of the woman who lives forever, who walks with the dead. There will be links to the Monster Kid Radio crashes and November Fire and anything else that's relevant over at our website at monsterkidradio.net. This is where you're going to find everything you need to know about Monster Kid Radio between episodes. Like a link to our Patreon page where you can help support the show financially by kicking in a little bit and get yourself some street rewards along the way, depending on what level you contribute at. Big thanks to all of our patrons 
Really appreciate your support. Our website's also where you're going to find our contact information. Our email address is monsterkidradio at gmail.com. And our voicemail line is 503-479-5657. That's 503-4795-MKR. I'd love to hear from you. I'd love to hear what maybe your favorite Jack Pierce makeup is. If you have any thoughts on this or any other episode that we've had over the past 239. Wow. Yeah. A lot of episodes. If you have any thoughts about any of them, feel free to send them in and we'll address it here on the show. I mentioned earlier, there's a stores link. There's a songs link where you can see every song that's appeared on a previous episode of Monster Kid Radio with links back to the band. So you can go check them out, support their efforts and let them know that you heard about them here on Monster Kid Radio. And of course, a link to the website of Shelby Denham. She is the incredible artist who has contributed the artwork to the new MonsterKidRadio.net website that came out a few weeks ago. Before we wrap up, I wanted to take a moment to get personal, maybe a little maudlin, and I'm going to ask you to bear with me. So there was a Monster Kid Radio crash planned last week on Saturday the 17th at the Joy Cinema. They were doing their Scarathon for Halloween, six movies. Man, what a lineup. And we were going to crash Bride of Frankenstein and The Mad Magician. And I was thinking about going out later that night to watch The Omega Man. The thing is... I wasn't able to go. And I don't know if any of you guys and gals were able to go. I hope you did. I hope my not being there didn't discourage you if you're thinking about going in the first place. Those of you who follow me on Facebook or know me personally know that my wife and I just had to let one of our cats go. And it was pretty tough. Um, Cinder was his name, and he'd been with us since 2001. We took him in as a stray. He was probably about two years old then, so... You know, he had a good long run with us. He was the first cat that we had. He worked his magic on me and turned me into a cat person. I wasn't a cat person before this. He was a beautiful, handsome, long-haired black cat who was very regal and just adorable and sweet and loving and paved the way for every other cat that we took in. Um, when we launched Monster Kid Radio, I had five cats. And a while back, we lost Ket and dedicated the podcast to him because he used to watch monster movies with me, uh, curled up on the bed while I was watching the Roku in the bedroom or on the daybed out here in the living room. Cinder would watch TV and movies with me as well. He used to sit up on my lap on my leg uh, lengthwise with his front paws on my knees, and he would occasionally knead them, you know, like how cats do, and his little claws would get stuck in me, and that's okay, whatever. It's, you know, him just being comfortable and making it clear to me that he's the boss. And that's all right, because he really was. He was diagnosed with cancer a couple of months ago. We were told that he had about a month left. He beat those odds by about a month, but it just really took its toll. And Saturday the 17th, the world lost an amazing black-haired cat, and I'm going to miss him terribly. Um I want to say thank you to everybody on Facebook, everybody in my life personally who sent me texts and left me voicemails and called me. My wife and I really appreciate all the love and all the support. It means a lot. I talk a lot about how I podcast because I wanted to find my tribe, and I certainly did. I mean, I found a ton of monster kids out there. I consider each and every one of you a friend, even if I haven't met you in person. I'm sure we'd have plenty to talk about and lots of things in common that could keep us from getting bored with each other's company for quite a while. Uh, (laughs) But it goes beyond that. 
the monster movies may have brought us together, but again, like I said, I consider everybody here a friend. Thank you for all of your support and for understanding my needing to miss the screening at the joy of the two movies and for my needing to dial back a little bit on the online front. I wasn't very active on Facebook outside of posting a few things about what was going on with Cinder and even my countdown to Halloween monster countdown over on my personal blog. I let stall out because I just couldn't focus on that while we were cherishing our cat Cinder in his final days. We still have three cats and each one of them are unique. None of them are going to take Cinder's place but I'm going to cherish them as well. And I think between the three cats, my wife and myself, we'll be all right. But Cinder will definitely be missed. I love you, big guy. Monster Kid Radio is a registered service mark of Monster Kid Radio, LLC. All original content of Monster Kid Radio by Monster Kid Radio, LLC is licensed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives, 3.0 unported license. Of course, that doesn't apply to the song... Matador. That belongs to the band the RPS Surfers. It's on their album Danger Beach, and you can find them over at rpssurfers.bandcamp.com. Go check them out. Let them know that you heard them here on Monster Kid Radio. Talk to everybody next week when I have Michael Ledgy, a.k.a. the horror host Dr. Dracon, to talk about the 1932 film Island of Lost Souls. It's going to be a good time. Talk to everybody next week. (laughs) 